Well, we're going to get to chapter 13, but we're going to finish up chapter 12. So however that falls in your Bible, turn to those pages. We're going to pick up on verse 27 here in just a moment. I want to go ahead and have another word of, of prayer. Uh, Pastor Aaron's prayed, but uh, I, want us to, I want us to pray and just again turn our hearts to the Word of God this morning. Father, uh, just bless now. We thank you for uh, the blessing we have of coming together and worshiping through song, turning our hearts, our minds toward you, returning to you praise that, that is, you are worthy of. Lord, our hearts, it should not be work for us to worship. It should not be a hard task for us if we are born-again believers because the Holy Spirit that indwells us cries out to bring glory to Jesus. So as the Spirit cries out of us, may we cry out and cry our praise and lift our praise and lift our worship to the Lord Jesus Christ and to God Almighty. Lord, I pray as we turn to your word now that you will just uh, help us to focus, help us to have spiritual eyes, spiritual ears this morning, that will come humbly before your word so that uh, we might receive what you have for us. And Lord, I pray that uh, folks would not see me or even hear me this morning. God, may they hear from you. And uh, may, may the Holy Spirit of God speak to hearts this morning and do what only you can do. So Lord, bless now in this time. As we turn to your word, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, first thing I want to do is I want to recap what we, what we looked at for the last couple of weeks. I want to give us a quick recap. Some weren't here. As we got into chapter 12, we're talking about spiritual gifts. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 are, are a long passage that all deals with spiritual gifts and spiritual gifting, spiritual manifestations. And we're going we're gonna to work through that and then tie it all together with a big, neat bow at the end so we get a kind of a 30,000-foot a, a view of what, what this means. But as a recap of where we're at right now, what we've already seen, we go back to chapter 12, verse 4, 5, and 6, is there are diversities of gift. That means there's different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries. It means we've got different ministries. Not everybody in the church, not everybody in the body has the same ministry, but is the same Lord. There are diversities of activities. That word means power or manifestations, but it is the same God who works all in all. We looked at this, that it's, we think of gifts coming from the Holy Spirit of God, and they do. But we see the Trinity involved. The Trinity is involved in this. It's not just the Holy Spirit of God. We see the same Spirit, the same Lord, and the same God. So the Trinity is involved here. We go down to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. We get to verse 13. It says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. So at salvation the Holy Spirit indwells us. At salvation, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ, the church. Spiritual baptism places us into the body of Christ. Water baptism is our public profession of faith in Christ. Amen? There's a big difference there. Now, we're filled with the Holy Spirit at salvation. There is no second filling that is evidenced by speaking in tongues or any other gift, manifestation of some evidence gift. We are we are indwelt. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit at salvation. Now, we are to be filled with the Spirit. We're to walk in that filling. But that's not, no, not once are we told to receive this second filling, this second coming on us of the Holy Spirit that, that is evidenced by something else. The Holy Spirit gives us a gift or gifts at salvation. Verse 18 
But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. So we understand from that it's his decision, God's decision. Who gets what? It's his choice. Nothing to do with me. It's all him. If, if, if someone has the gift of, of, of evangelism or they have the gift of giving or they have the gift of serving, God makes that determination of who receives what gift. We don't get them based on merit. It's, it's a gift. It's not something that we earn. So therefore, you know, again, it's not something we should take pride in. It's not something we should envy from someone else. We should rejoice in what God has blessed us with and use it for his honor and glory. The body is one but made up of many members. The redeemed, the born-again believers, make up the body of Christ. The purpose of his body, we learned last week, the purpose of his body, the church, the body of Christ, the spiritual body of Christ, that's us, folks, the church. And, and the purpose of his body is to serve him. It's to serve him. Now, we, we talked about that, that means this. It means doing what he says, following the, 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 the leader, following the head, who is Jesus Christ. He is the head. We're the body. And, and, it's, and it's, listen, it's not about us doing stuff for him, okay? It's about him doing things through us. Through his body. The head says what to do. It's not me going, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do the way I want to do it. I don't care what the scriptures say. I'm going to do that for the Lord. Well, the Lord doesn't contradict his word. He doesn't contradict what he's revealed to us. So we follow his lead. We don't just go out and I'm going to serve God and I'm going to do it this way or I'm going to do it that way. We do what he says. And, and the other part of this, of the body, the purpose of the body, is to declare him. We are to declare Jesus. We're to make him known. Verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. There should be unity in the body and love for one another. Amen? There ought to be unity here. We're, we're believers. We're indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. We are one. We're separate. We're individuals, but we're one. Okay, we'll talk a little more about that in a second. Each should do his part in the body for the good of the body. Every, we, we, we talked about this. Every part of my body is an individual part. The hands are different from the feet. My, I'm glad my liver does its job. Look, I'm glad my heart doesn't one day just to say, you know what, I don't like this body anymore. I'm going to go to another body. And, and, and now I don't have a heart. There's nothing else in me that can do what the heart is there to do. So every part has a part. Make sense? Every part has a part in the body. So each one in the body ought to do their part in the body for the good of the body. Now, there's a story I want to share kind of illustrates this. So several years ago, there were two students, as I understand it. I don't know the source on this, but as I understand it, this is a true story. So several years ago, two students graduated from the Chicago-Kent College of Law. The highest-ranked student in the class, listen to this, was a blind man named Overton. And when he received his honor, he insisted that half the credit should go to his friend, Kasprazak. They had met one, uh, one another in school when the armless Mr. Kasprazak had guided the blind Mr. Overton down a flight of stairs. This acquaintance ripened into friendship and a beautiful example of interdependence. It's a picture of how the body ought to work. The blind man carried the books... Uh, which the armless man read aloud in their common study. And thus the individual deficiency of each was compensated for by the other. After their graduation, they planned to practice law together. Isn't that, isn't that great? So the guy who had no arms, 
He could lead the guy who had no eyes. And the guy who had no eyes could be read to out of the law books by the guy who had no arms. So each his deficiency was supplemented by the other, and together they were, they, they were complete. They complemented each other. They worked together. They were interdependent on each other. No believer is complete by himself. We are to minister to one another as a family. Amen? And that's a great picture of what we've already learned. Now, we pick up today in verse 27. Verse 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. That's kind of a, a, a summation statement of what Paul has already said. But it's also a, a, a transitional statement to his next thought. We, we are all a part of the body. So we, we are not and cannot be separate from the body. Amen? So when you become a believer, we're part of the body. You, you're part of that. You can't just decide, I don't want to be a part of the body anymore. That, when, you, when you're born again, the Holy Spirit puts you in the body. You are a part of the body. So we are a part of that body, and we can't just separate from the body. And we are, and, and Paul says, and members individually. We, that's me, that's you, that's each believer. We have our part to play in the body. We have our individual responsibility as members. Each one has a role to play. At salvation, we stop being individuals outside the body of Christ, and now we are individuals within his body. We have a job in his body. It's given to us by him, and we, and we do it or it doesn't get done. You know, sometimes we think, well, you know, well, if I don't do it, you know, somebody else will pick up the slack. Well, there's a reason you're in the body. There's a reason God's given you the gifting he's given you, the talents he's given you, the abilities he's given you, the experiences of life that he's given you. All of those things, God has worked together and he's placed you in the body and there's a, there's a job for you to do in the body. And if you decide, well, I'm not going to do it and somebody else will do it. Well, somebody else may try, but the fact is there are things you can do that I can't do. There may be something I can do that you can't do or you can't do as well. We, we, the, the, that's the way this thing works. There, and you think about it. Um, my hand, my hand can speak, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You're right. My hand can't speak verbally. You couldn't hear my hand, but my hand could talk. I could do sign language. I'm not doing sign language. I'm just moving my hand. I hope I'm not doing sign language. There's no telling. Uh, but my hand can speak, but my hand can't speak as effectively as my mouth. My mouth needs to do its job. Now, my eyes, if my eyes don't do their job, I don't have another part of my body that can, can see. Now, we, we again, the hands can kind of feel that role. I see the thing, now, I don't like my face touched. Anybody else like that? Anybody? I don't like my face touched. I don't like hands. My kids used to, I'm like, I don't, I just, it's just one of those things. It's just weird. But you know, if you're blind to see someone, you need to touch their face. They would touch their a person's face and they would feel the sculptor, the, the shape of your face and they could get an idea. If they've had sight, they could get an idea of what you look like. Um, but your eyes need to see, your heart needs to pump. There's not another organ can take the place of that. Uh, your ears need to hear, your lungs need to breathe. You, you get it? Every part has its part to play. Every part needs to do its part. And, and most of the time, if it doesn't, you, you know, you can't, it, it, you're not going to, you, you've all seen those videos where a dog doesn't have four legs, it's got two legs and it runs around on its back legs. It can compensate, but it can't do it well. We can't always replace those things. So we, every part, Scott's part, needs to do that. Individually, you're an individual part of the body, but you're an individual part of the body, and you have a role to play. 
So we need to do those things. Verse 28, and God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Now first, the word there first, first apostles, what he's given is, he's given an order there. He's given a, a list. There's a couple ways to look at that, okay? So it's not just a random list as he lists those things off. There is a priority in the gifting that, that God gives. There are certain gifts, the, 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 the apostles and the prophets, there was a reason they were first and they were second. They were the first that were given. It was a, there's an order there of appearance even, it looks like, and there's an order of priority, of importance, that, that you've got to have those things. And, and it's interesting, too, as chapters 12 and 13 and 14, Paul's dealing with spiritual gifts, but the reason he's dealing with spiritual gifts is because of the abuse of the gift of tongues in the church, and he's trying to correct them on that. It's interesting that in this list, the gift of tongues is listed last. Was the gift of tongues an important gift? Absolutely it was an important gift. It was absolutely an important gift. But it wasn't more important than apostle or prophet, those that, that, that had the call of a prophet on their life. And let's look at that, Ephesians 2.18. I want to, don't just take me at that, let's look at some scripture. Ephesians 2.18 says, For uh, through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So Paul's writing here to Christians. He's telling them about their part, members of the household of God. It goes hand in hand with what we're learning here in Corinthians. Uh, verse 20 says, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole bu uh, building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We are the temple. We've, we've, we've studied that out in other passages. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. He indwells us individually, and He indwells us as the body of Christ. We are building up this, this spiritual body of Christ. And He talks about here that having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets... Now, we'll talk more about this in the future. Do we see apostles today? Not like we saw apostles there. It's a different role. The prophets are different than the prophets of that day. There's still that gifting, and we'll talk about more about what that means. But those were gifts that were so important at the beginning of the church, as the church started. Ephesians 3, 5, Paul goes on, he says, "...which in other ages was not made known to the sons of, of men, as it has uh, now been revealed by the Spirit." to his holy apostles and prophets. They were the ones who received those mysteries. They were the ones who were given this new insight. And they were the ones who then went out and, and began to found churches and develop the churches and grow the churches and, and pass on this information. Ephesians 4, 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And he himself gave some to be again. It's interesting, if these were random orders, if this was just a listing of throwing out some gifts and some things, we would expect to see that randomly mentioned in Scripture. But we don't see that. It says here in verse 11, chapter 4, verse 11, And he himself gave some to be apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, 
for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Again, there's an order to that, and it was in founding the church and getting the church established, this new thing that, that was there in the New Testament church. Now, I want you to notice something in the Scriptures. We, in our English language, we add punctuation often that is not there in the Greek. Okay, you have to, if you study Greek, you understand. We see some of the sentences. How many of you ever knows Paul's, Paul's the king of run on? Paul would go for three, three, four verses and not take a breath. I'm like, man, y'all talking about a long-winded preacher. That was Paul. Paul could, he could shuck the corn. But there was no period or commas or, <gasps> he didn't even do that. He just went right on. But notice here, we, we actually notice in, in, in verses uh, 11 and 12 that the, the commas really aren't there. So when we read this, we read it more like this. And he, gave, and he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. These are not separate individual thoughts. And what he's saying, there's not three jobs there that he gives some of these roles for the equipping of the saints and for the work of ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Look, he gives the gifts as a whole. He gives gives the gifts that he gives and puts people in the places he puts them. All of this he puts the body together for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, uh, uh, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So, so my role as pastor and, and elders, our role is to equip the body, is to equip all of us to go do the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. It's not for one person. It's not one person has a job that is for everybody. Listen, it's everybody's got a part in this. That's what's being said. Everybody has a part in this. Everybody has a role to play. You, 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 I'm not going to get sidetracked. Everybody's got a part to play in this. And it's all for the edification, the building up of the body of Christ. Everything that we do ought to be for that purpose. We are to make him known. We are to make, do what he tells us to do. We are, we are to, we, we are, we are to go out and bring people. We're, our goal is to bring people into worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. As they become followers of Christ, then to disciple them, they become a part of the body, and we are to help them to grow in the body. We are to edify the body. That's the role we all have. And he continues there in chapter 4 how all this works together. Verse 13, he says, Tell... Until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about uh, with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. It's all designed, all this together is for us to grow, that we, 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 we come into this growth as we follow him, as we, as we listen to the head, as we do what he tells us to do. Verse 16, for whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Every joint, not some joints, not some parts of the body, but by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Why does God give these gifts? Is to grow his body. 
He, all of this is about the body of Christ. It's about the church. It's about the body of believers. And all of this works together. It works together as we grow and as the body is edified. And we come to verse 29. He says, are all apostles. He's making the point here that no, again, no one gift. Everyone doesn't have one gift and no one person has every gift. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Here again, this is a re- refuting to the, to the, the fact that there, there's not a, an evidence gift of your salvation. You, 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 don't, you don't prove that you're saved by speaking in tongues. That's not an evidence. There, not everyone speaks in tongues. Everyone would have to speak in tongues to prove that if it was an evidence gift. Do, not, do, do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? These are rhetorical questions right here. Paul, Paul's not even looking for an answer. He, it's rhetorical. He, the, the answer is obviously no. Not everybody has these gifts. And then verse 31, he says, But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Now, it seems strange that Paul spent the entire chapter saying here that you have nothing to do with the gift that you're given. God determines what your gift is. He determines where you're called, where he places you, all of that stuff in the body. And then we come to verse 31. He says, but earnestly desire the best gifts. Doesn't that seem strange? It's kind of like the verses we read earlier that said, um, all things are lawful for me. Now, this isn't a quote from them, but, but w- w- when we read this, I, I, as I've studied it and, and, and what I find in this is what I think Paul's doing right here. He's not encouraging them to, to desire these certain gifts that, that some are telling them they should. You desire these gifts. You desire that gift. That's not what he's, he's not telling them to covet for a gifting that someone else has because, again, we, it doesn't matter we covet it or not. God determines what gifts we have. Amen. He's already decided that, so it's not our place to pursue those things or or to think that way. So what I think Paul's doing right here is he's actually chastising them because that is what they were doing. They were desiring the best gifts. They were desiring certain gifts that they thought would bring them prominence or get attention upon them. And he's chastising them here. And and so he's saying that's what you're doing. You're coveting these other gifts, especially in the church at Corinth, the gift of tongues. They were desiring that. They were pursuing that. That's God's decision. But 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 he says now, and some would say, well, then, you know, what does that mean when you get to 1 Corinthians 14, 1? 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says this, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. How many of your, your scripture says, flip over there, turn to chapter 14 and read that. Do you see that? It says, does it say spiritual gifts there? Raise your hand if it says spiritual gifts. How many of you of your Bible, gifts is italicized? You know what that means when the words are italicized, right? The word's not there. Okay, the word gifts is not there. So when you go back and look at that, what you have to look at, and it's just like chapter 12, verse 1, because when Paul says in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, now concerning spiritual, the word gifts isn't there. What he's saying is, now concerning spiritual manifestations, the spiritual, the things that God is working, that's really what he's saying here. It's not linked just to the gifts. What did he say in those verses? Of uh, 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 There are diversities of gifts. There's differences of ministries. There's diversities of activities. Those are the power manifestations that, that God brings. He gives you a gift and his power manifests it through the ministries called you to. Okay, And it may look different for you, the same gift, than it would look with someone else in a different ministry in a different place. 
Okay? So what he's saying here, he says, pursue love, pursue love, and desire the spiritual. Desire the spiritual manifestation, the spiritual growth, the spiritual things. Desire those things, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, here's the deal. Um, he says, pursue love. Desire the spiritual, the, the, the things, what God has for you, what he can do with you, what he can do through you. Desire those things. We should desire the spiritual in our life. Amen? I mean, we should, we should want what God wants for us. We should pursue all that God has for us. Um, go after the spiritual. Seek it. Pursue it through his word, through prayer, through serving, through ministry, through, through helping others, whatever. Pursue that. Just pursue the spiritual. Seek it. But he said, pursue prophecy. Now, what is prophecy? He's not necessarily talking about the gift of prophecy. He's not, saying, he's not saying here because he's already made it very clear. The Lord determines who gets what. He gives that. He's not saying pursue the spiritual gift of prophecy. What he's saying is, but especially that you may prophesy, that you may preach, that you may teach, that you may proclaim Christ. What is today? Well, especially today. What is the prophesying? was speaking truth. It was speaking the Word of God. It was speaking truths of God, then and now. Now, there were those who had the gift as a prophet. There were those who were prophets. There's difference there. There are prophets. There are those who have the gift of prophecy. We can all, listen, we can all prophesy. We can all prophesy. Now, I'm not saying that everybody in here is to go be a pastor in a church. Scripture contradicts that. There, there are positions that, that are, today, this is a big discussion. There are positions that are different from women than there are men. Y'all understand the Levites in the Old Testament were the only ones who could lead the worship? Was that discriminatory? No, it was God's plan. It didn't make the other 11 tribes inferior to the Levites. That was the plan God had for them. And that's the way God has set it up when it comes to preaching roles in certain things. But when we talk about prophesying, we're talking about preaching, we're talking about uh, sharing Christ. We're talking about proclaiming truth of the Word of God. And we can all do that in some way, shape, or form. Amen? We can have spiritual conversations with folks we run into. You can teach Sunday school. Miss Benna. Miss Benna. In her class over here, she's prophesying. She's standing and speaking truth to her class. Amen? Okay. And what Paul's saying, pursue love and desire spiritual, the spiritual things, but especially that we prophesy. So what he comes to then, he says, now I'll show you a more excellent way. And we turn the page to chapter 13. And it's the love chapter. And we, 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 we all know 1 Corinthians 13. It's the Valentine's chapter. It's let's go to... And Pastor Aaron did a great job a few weeks ago explaining that. Look, this isn't just a marriage. It's not, it's not even a marriage chapter. Now, everything that, that is in this chapter applies to marriage as believers, but it applies to believers. It applies to us in the way that we love. And so Paul, Paul is now he's going to show them a more excellent way as we come to the love chapter here in chapter 13. Now, G. Campbell Morgan wrote, he said this, he said, that examining this chapter is like dissecting a flower to understand it. If you tear it apart too much, you lose the beauty. So it, it, it's a beautiful chapter. Alan Redpath said, one can get a spiritual suntan from the warmth of this chapter. It's a great chapter. And, and so we're going to walk through this. 
I'm not going to rehearse everything that Pastor Aaron preached. I'll hit on that in just a, a little bit. But I want you to look at the first three verses. We're going to highlight those this morning. So the first three verses here in chapter 13 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. I never gave you a title, did I? Who's, who's like, I want the title. I need to put that down. Here's the title, if you want a title. Okay. A gaping void without agape love. You know what a gaping is? It's wide open. It's huge. It's big. A gaping void without agape love. That's the title this morning. And we really get into that right now. So without, uh, but, I have not, but I have not love, I've become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Now we're going to focus on this agape love. Um, the verse is there three times says, have not love, but have not love. Now, Paul uses the Greek word there for love is the word agape. Now, in ancient Greek, they had four different words that were translated love. Now, it, it gives you an idea of how our English language time, a lot of times is inferior because we have a word love. And that word love could be marriage love. It could be brotherly love. It can be family love. It could be God love, godly love, spiritual love, okay? And, and we use the word love. So we have to know the context. We have to know the reason they're saying it. We've got to understand all that to know what it means. The Greek had these different words that explained it. So there are four words. The first was eros. And uh, as you might guess from, from the word itself, it, that's the word for erotic love. It refers to sexual love. Then there's storge, and it refers to family love, the kind of love that's between a parent and a child or between family members in general. Then it's phileia, and that speaks of a brotherly love. Y'all know that, phileo, right? Phile, Philadelphia. Brotherly love, the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, comes from Philea, and it speaks of brotherly uh, kindness and affection. It is the love of deep friendship and partnership. It might be described as the highest love of which a man, or that man without God's help, is capable of. It's the highest form of love that we can have outside of without God. And then there is this word agape. And it's, uh, you know, most today call agape love God's love. So I want to look at that. I want us to talk about what is agape love? What does this love look like? That if I don't have this, if you have not this, if you have not love, you have not this, then, then, then we're nothing or whatever. So agape is this. It is a love that, that loves without changing. It is a self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It is a love so great that it can be given to the unlovable and unappealing. It is a love that loves even when it is rejected. Agape love gives and loves because it wants to. It does not demand or expect repayment for the love giving. It gives because it loves. It does not love to receive, okay? Alan Redpath, he, he says that we get the English word agony from this word agape. Agony, agape. You can hear it and see the similarities there. But he says it's because it means the actual absorption of our being in one great passion. Man, when there's, you think about God is love, and we'll talk about that, but God is love. There is, there is a total absorption of that's who that, that, that is and who he is. He is love. 
But that's what, uh, where that word agony, because we become focused on that. Strictly speaking, agape can't be defined as God's love because men are said to agape sin and the world. John 3.19, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men loved. Men agaped darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not agape love, do not love the world, agape the world or the things in the world. But it can be defined as a sacrificial, giving, absorbing kind of love. The word has little to do with emotion. It has much to do with self-denial for the sake of another. Amen? Okay, you you following? So uh, the essence of agape love is goodwill, benevolence, and willful delight in the object of love. Agape love involves faithfulness, commitment, and an act of the will. Outside of the New Testament, the word agape is used in a variety of contexts, but in the vast majority of instances in the New Testament, it carries distinct meaning. Agape is almost always used to describe the love that is of God and from God, whose very nature is love itself. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. God does not merely love. God is love. You see the difference? It's not just that God does something, expresses love. He is love. His very being is, 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 is love. The type of love that characterizes God is not a sappy, sentimental feeling such as we often hear portrayed. Agape love is modeled by Christ. Uh, agape, agape love as modeled by Christ is not based on a feeling. Rather, it is a determined act of the will, a joyful resolve to put the welfare of others above our own, God loves because that is his nature and the expression of his being. He loves the unlovable and the unlovely, not because we deserve to be loved or because of our excellence, uh, any excellence we possess, but because it is his nature to love and he must be true to his nature. Agape love is always shown by what it does. You follow this? Agape love, God's love, is always shown by what it does. You know, when I was a kid, my dad would call us. My mom and dad were divorced. My dad was an alcoholic. My dad would call us, and uh, he didn't send money. He didn't put food on the table. He didn't, you know, he didn't put clothes on our back. My dad would call us, and he'd tell us he loved us. I always thought something there doesn't fit right. You know, he's, he would tell us, son, I love you, son, I love you, I love you. And in his way, he did. I know in his own way, he did. But real love, agape love, is not about mushiness. It ain't about feelings. And it ain't about just expressing some words. It's in what we show. And so agape love is always shown by what it does. God's love is displayed most clearly at the cross. God's demonstration of agape love led to the sacrifice of the Son of God for those he loved. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. For God, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his agape love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. John 3, 16. For God so agape the world. He so his love. It was agape love. For God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We, we, we did not deserve such sacrifice, right? But God demonstrates his own agape for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's agape love is unmerited, 
gracious and constantly seeking the benefit of the ones he loves. We are undeserving recipients of his lavish love. Amen? 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of agape the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. That's, that's agape, love. That's what it looks like. That's what it does. Agape love does not come naturally to us because of our fallen nature. We're incapable of, of such love. The closest thing we may have would be, you know, I, don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe phileo. And that can be a deep, deep, deep love. But it's not agape love. It's not that. If we're to love as God loves, that's agape love. It can only come from its source. Romans 5, 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint because the agape of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. His love, that agape love has been poured out by the Holy Spirit of God. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is agape. It's agape love and joy and peace and long-suffering. 1 John 3.16, but uh, by this we know love. By this we know agape because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So he has shown us his love, his agape love. Not phileo, not any other type of love. It's his agape, all-consuming, all-driven, all-selfless love. And he says he has loved us this way. He laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We're to love others with agape love. Jesus gave the parable of the Good Samaritan as an example of sacrifice for the sake of others. The Good Samaritan was a great example of that. He didn't know that guy. He could have walked right on by like the others did, the religious ones did. Could have walked right on by and nothing ever would have been said. But what did he do? He expressed love. It, was at his, it wasn't emotional. It was, it was of the will. I'm going to help. I'm going to pour out on him. He, he didn't deserve anything from him. He didn't owe him anything. But it was agape love that did that. Um, 1 John 4, 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. It goes back to the agape. We know, we, we, we have known and believed the agape that God has for us. God is agape. And he who abides in agape abides in God. If we have agape love, it's because we abide in the Lord and, and because God is in us. It's the only way to have that type of love. Now, if you want to see... Man, you really want to go back and re re rehearse this. Go back to verses 4 through 7. Read through those. Uh, maybe later today, sit down and read through those. Pastor Aaron did a fantastic job of exegeting that and explaining what each of those. But if you go back and read that, you're going to see that each one of those are selfless, agape love. None of them are, are done in, so that they'll get something back. None of it's done to where, you know, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. I, you know, whatever it is. It's not a, this is a reciprocating love. It is a sacrificial, all about the other person type of love. And that's how that looks. Now, we come back to verses 1 through 3. And I'm getting close here to wrapping as we begin to wrap this up. It says, without love. And basically, this is without love. So, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. 
Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. I, I can talk all the tongues. I can speak a hundred languages. I could talk a hundred different languages. But you know what? If I don't have love, it, it, it's, it's this. Not like Lynn did it, which was really good. It's, it's just a whole bunch of noise, a whole bunch of racket, a whole bunch of that. I can speak of the tongues of men and of angels. If I could speak the language of the angels, but I don't have love, it's become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. It's just empty noise. It's just empty noise. Quote I found this week said, People of little religion are always noisy. He who has not the love of God filling his heart is like an empty wagon coming violently down a hill. It makes a great noise because there's nothing in it. Thought of that? Man, without love, listen, if I have not love, my actions are worth nothing. Verse 2, and though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and, and all knowledge. I've got all the knowledge, all the mysteries of the world. I've got it all. It's all here in my mind. I've got this great understanding. If I have not love, and though I have all faith. Now, what about all faith? You know, Jesus said in Matthew 17, he, he was saying that, that just the faith of a mustard seed. If we have just the faith of a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds... Man, we could move a mountain. We could speak to that mountain and move it. The problem is, if we don't have love, we'd, we'd drop it right in somebody's way or we'd drop it right on somebody. And that's what we'd do. We'd, we'd move the mountain and drop it on somebody because we have this faith, but we have not love. And Paul says, you know, if I have not love, I am nothing. So without love, my actions are worth nothing. Without love, I am nothing. Pastor Aaron, you and, and the team can begin to make your way forward. Verse 3 then says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Well, those are great, great sacrifice, right? Great sacrifice. If I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. That's such a... Boy, people, if somebody did that... I mean, we were looking yesterday. Uh, it came up with who's the richest person in the world. Bill Gates now, one of my favorite people... Um, Bill Gates now is way down the list, but he's given away half his fortune. And then uh, how much else is it? And people go, oh, Bill Gates is, oh, he's just such a great guy. He's given so much money away. Listen, sacrifice, self-sacrifice, like, doesn't mean anything. He didn't give it all away. And the Lord told the rich young ruler, he said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And he lists off some things. Oh, I've done all that since, my, since I, my youth. I've done that. And the Lord said, then go sell all that you have. Sell all that you have and follow me. You know what? Here's, here's the thing about that. Even if he went and sold all that he had, if he had not love, if he sacrificed everything, it wouldn't mean a thing. Bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned. Oh, well, that would be the ultimate. I mean, you know, in the early church, there were those who believed that if you were martyred, if you gave your life, that that would cover any sin you had. I mean, it was almost, it was martyrdom salvation. It was some like some religions we know of today that if I go out and I, if I'm a martyr for my false faith, my, my false religion, then I'll go to heaven with 70 wives. You know, I'll go to heaven I, it just instantly because I go out and I kill people and then I'm martyred. 
for that. It's foolishness in the thinking, and it's, it's wrong thinking. It's just wrong. And there were believers who actually thought this, that giving of my body would show my great faith. But Paul says, I can give all my goods to feed the poor. I can, I can give my body to be burned. I can sacrifice everything. But if I have not love, it profits me nothing. It profits me nothing. Folks, without love, my actions are worth nothing. I am nothing. And the things that I do or give or whatever sacrifices I make, they profit me nothing. Now, these first three verses, all of the things that are listed here are good things. Paul was writing this. He wasn't, there weren't things that he said, these are bad things, this is not good. These are all good. The gift of tongues, it was good. The gift of prophecy, it was good. The gift of knowledge was good. And faith, that's good. All of these things are good. Sacrifice is good. But love is so valuable, so important, that apart from it, every good, every good thing, every other good thing is useless. Sometimes we make the great mistake of letting go of what is best uh, for something else that's just the good. We sacrifice the best for something that's good. So Paul says, doesn't matter what your gifting is. And he's not saying the gifts aren't important. But he's saying don't get so caught up in your gift that you think you're something because of it. He said your gift is nothing without love. The gifts... Whatever gift God's given us, whatever place he's put us in, whether it's in service or however he's using us, whatever our role is in the body, it should be empowered by love. It should be driven by love. Again, not sappy love, agape love. Because then it's not about me. It's about him. Father, thank you 